Equal access to justice is a core American value. In each episode of Talk Justice, an LSC podcast, we will explore ways to expand access to justice and illustrate why it is important to the legal community, businesses, government, and the general public. Talk Justice is sponsored by the Leaders' Council of the Legal Services Corporation. More than anything else, perhaps, in all of my experiences professionally, I've had the opportunity to be in situations where the mission was compelling and the mission was at the forefront. In this role, I believe that that is so critical. At the end of the day, the law isn't always clear or there are various paths that one can take, various interpretations. But if you are going to break a tie, if you will, then I think you need to rely upon your, your core values. You need to rely upon your mission rely upon what is it that we're all about as an organization. I think that that kind of focus that I've had through most of my career is something that I bring here and something that I'm tremendously excited about. Hello, and welcome to Talk Justice, an LSC podcast. I'm your host, Ron Flagg, president of the Legal Services Corporation. Today, I'll be talking with Will Gunn, former general counsel for the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs and retired Air Force Colonel who became LSC's Vice President for Legal Affairs and General Counsel on June 1st. We will discuss Will's plans for LSC and how his experience in legal aid, the military, and at the VA informed those plans and prepare him for his current position. Will was sworn in as the General Counsel for the Department <coughs> of Veterans Affairs in 2009 and served in that role for five years. Subsequently, he went on in private practice to represent military members, veterans, and contractor employees in a range of administrative matters. Will, who earlier served as a lawyer in the Air Force Judge Advocate General Corps, retired from the military in 2005. At that point, he was named president and CEO of the Boys and Girls Clubs of Greater Washington, one of the organization's largest affiliates. Will is a graduate of the United States Air Force Academy and Harvard Law School. He also holds a Master of Laws degree in Environmental Law from the George Washington University School of Law and a Master of Science degree in Natural Resource Strategy from the Industrial College of the Armed Forces. Thanks for joining me today, Will. Why don't we start out by having you talk about your family background? Well, thanks a lot, Ron. And I really appreciate the opportunity to participate in the podcast today. And not only that, I want to thank you and the board for the confidence that you displayed in me and selecting me for this role. As far as my family, I, I consider myself to be uh, have a family that's, of course, near and dear to my heart and be a devout family man. And I am fortunate in that I... Uh, I've been married to the same woman for 39 years. Uh, next month will mark 39 years. I've known her for 40 uh, years. And we have three adult children and four grandchildren now, the youngest being all of 13 months old. My parents, I'm blessed to have both of my parents still living in South Florida, uh, where I grew up. And originally, from Birmingham, Alabama, but grew up in Fort Lauderdale in, in that area and have uh, one brother and one sister. And as I said, family is extremely important to me. 
if you would share a, a story from your childhood or your schooling, you know, what was that like uh, growing up in Florida? Let me first start by sharing one from my background in Alabama. My dad was a high school teacher. My parents are both from Alabama. My mom from Birmingham. My dad from a small town, Opelika, which is close to Auburn. In the 60s, in the early 60s, my brother and I, we'd be shipped off to Alabama each summer to spend time with our grandparents and also with cousins. My mom comes from a large family, and this was her side of the family where we were. Uh, she's one of 14 siblings. At the time that I was born, you know, Birmingham was very much in, in the news, and especially in the years afterwards. I can remember, uh, for instance, in 1963, hearing about how one of my aunts, my mom's younger sister and her youngest brother, were both arrested at the time of the uh, marches and the demonstrations led by Dr. Martin Luther King, and where uh, fire hoses were turned on youth. I can also remember just later on that year, being back in Florida, when we um, got news of uh, the bombings at the 16th Street Baptist Church which I got a chance to attend as a part of a church convention years later. But, you know, those events and, and being there and being in that environment at, at that pivotal time in the history of this nation, I think that that played a major part in, in my life and background. Wow. Talk about living history. Why don't you start at this point with just an overview of your professional background, and then we'll dive into some of the details after you do that. But, you know, give us the, uh, I, I guess if I ask you for the 50,000 foot view, being a, an Air Force guy, you might actually be able to do that. But why don't you start with that? Well, I, I appreciate the opportunity, Ron. I, you know, I went to the Air Force Academy when I was 17 years old. And I got there, you know, there've been a lot of discussions in this nation about the affirmative action. And, and now we, we hear calls for diversity. I got to the Air Force Academy largely because of cries for diversity in the 1970s. A representative of the Air Force Academy's Minority Affairs Office, part of their admissions office, visited my high school. Now, as I mentioned, my dad was a high school teacher and so I was already focused, if you will, on the idea of possibly going to a service academy, but my test scores were a bit low. And so this gentleman who had just graduated from the academy was visiting high schools. He was assigned to Florida, made it to my high school, and I, I went up to him after his presentation told him that I had some interest because the military service academies were all about the whole person concept, academics, athletics, and leadership. People that don't know me, I'm, I'm a pretty tall guy. I'm about six, seven, played uh, high school basketball. So I'll, I'll cut that question off at the past. A lot of people want to know if I played any ball in my background, and I did. Also ran cross country. So I was a decent athlete. I wasn't a great athlete, but I was a decent athlete. Well, we're, we're going to get you out on the LSC uh, uh, running team here. So I'm, hey. I'm glad to have picked up on that. Uh, well, well, Ron, my, my running days are long gone. Believe uh, me. That's a disappointment. Not, I was not very successful at all on the cross country front. I, I did that because my ninth grade science teacher was also my ninth grade basketball coach. And he said, we need to work on our cardio. 
uh, do it through running cross country. So I, I went out for that. The other aspect of the academy is they're looking for leaders. And I, I was the kind of guy that I was like vice president of the student council as a junior, president as a senior. I was always active in, in different events at church, in school, in the community. And I was also ended up being a captain of the basketball team. So I had all these leadership activities. And so if someone were grading me there, I'd probably get a, a pretty strong A. But in the academics, I, I'm the guy who loses his book in algebra as a freshman, but doesn't tell anybody and figure I can just get through the course. That strategy didn't work very well. I narrowly passed the course uh, with a low D, uh, but uh, it wasn't, a, wasn't a, a strategy built for success. And so my math background was very, uh, very weak. This gentleman from the academy, though, he started charting my progress. I'd taken SAT once, had to take it numerous times. I think I ended up taking it like five times in order to get qualifying scores. But I, I made it in. When I got there, I worked really hard. I persevered, took remedial math. But I did well at the academy. I, I held leadership positions there ended up making the dean's list most of the time that I was there. I'm thankful because that experience was, was really great. After my academy days, uh, my first assignment was getting a chance to work in the academy's minority affairs office. So that same office where someone had come to help me, I got a chance to help high school students. And that was just phenomenal. Paying uh, it forward. Absolutely. It, and today, I've come in contact with people with whom I corresponded when they were uh, high school seniors who are now <laughs> retired from the, from the military. I like to think that I played a small part in, in their progress. But I did that for a year. Then I went into contracting for a couple of years. I had been a management major at the academy. I decided pretty early on that I didn't want to fly jets and actually, my body decided that for me. Some people looked at me, they said, well, could you fit in the, uh, in the cockpit? And I could. I was pilot qualified. I had the eyesight. I had the height, everything working together. Only problem was I was getting motion sick in the patterns. And uh, so that, that didn't work out very well. I eventually got past that, but I really believe that it was my body telling me this was not my calling. You see, I went to school with people that told stories about how the earliest memory was of looking up in the sky and seeing a jet and say, ah, I want to fly one of those. I didn't have that kind, of, that kind of memory. Flying was not a passion for me. Nevertheless, Air Force Academy was calling. I go into uh, contracting, but I knew that I wanted to go to law school got a chance to go to law school three years after I graduated. And I got into some great schools, top on that list, the fact that we share an alma mater, Harvard Law. And I'll tell you, Ron, for me, people talk about love at first sight when they meet their, their future spouse. Harvard Square was love at first sight for me. And just the energy, the vibrancy of the place. And it was such a contrast to the Air Force Academy where I'd gone, which is absolutely beautiful, up in the mountains, set against the, the rampart range of the Rockies. But Harvard Square was electric for me. 
And I just felt that that's where I wanted to go to school. And again, I was blessed with that opportunity. I uh, had a, a great experience in law school afterwards, got a lot of courtroom experiences as a young prosecutor, and then as a defense attorney. Then I got selected for the White House Fellows Program in the Bush administration. So I worked in the George H.W. Bush administration on his White House staff, which was phenomenal. I then got a chance to go out and practice law for a bit. I, I got a chance to do some civil law matters here in the D.C. area. I was at a place called Buzzard Point, not far from National Stadium, and uh, only a few miles from the, from the White House in those days, and this was the early 90s, but it was a very long way from being on the White House staff. Right. From, uh, from a prestige and psychic perspective at, at that point in time. Nevertheless, spent a couple of years doing that. And then I got a chance to go back to school. I got an LLM in environmental law from uh, GW, uh, George Washington University. I wanted to give myself some career insurance. I've always been a generalist, but I, I wanted to get a specialty. That was the, I was told that was the thing to do. Uh, wasn't terribly interested in environmental law going in, but uh, I was fascinated by some of uh, the things that I learned. And I did my thesis on environmental justice. And you could say from a professional standpoint, that was really my introduction to social justice issues. This was during the Clinton administration. He had uh, written a, an executive order on the uh, environmental justice and environmental racism. And I got a chance to... Uh, to, to write about that and learn quite a bit about it. A after that, I thought I was going to go out and help the Air Force solve its environmental law problems, but I was surprised to find that what they had in mind was for me to go down to the Air Force JAG school in Montgomery, Alabama, and teach environmental law, a subject that I had no practical experience in. And even though I had been born in Alabama, had family there, this was not on my radar screen. Nevertheless, that's where I went, and it turned out to be just a phenomenal assignment. I got a chance to be there and really help uh, young JAGs coming through, people just coming to the Air Force most of the time. And, and you could say you mentioned paying it forward. That was another thing. Uh, I think that's a recurring theme in my life and career. I got a chance to do that at the JAG school. You see, when, when I was a student and I'd take courses as a young JAG, young lawyer at the school, I'd have to fill out course critiques. Without fail, I would write in the course critiques that I was disappointed that there was no one on the stage that looked like me. There was very little diversity in those days. And so I think they read my critiques and gave me an opportunity to make a difference in, in that area. Not what I dreamed of, but so glad I got an opportunity to do that. After that, I went into law office management for the first time, and that was 25 years ago in 1996. And so for the next several years, I just did a variety of things in law office management. Worked as the lead attorney at Pope Air Force Base, which was right next to Fort Bragg for three years, which was a great assignment working side by side with the Army. Then I got a chance to uh, go down to San Antonio, Texas, where I had responsibility for supervising Air Force lawyers, criminal defense lawyers in the middle of the country, from Texas up to North Dakota. That was my introduction to managing a team that was 
uh, geographically dispersed. And enjoyed that quite a bit. After a couple of years, I was back to D.C. by this time, uh, entering the senior ranks, and they sent me to school again over at Fort McNair in D.C. again. And it was there that uh, the attacks of 9-11, I was there when, when that occurred, just a few miles away at, at the Pentagon, of course. After that, I went to work. My very first boss as a JAG by this time uh, had become the number one lawyer in the Air Force. And he asked me to come in and be his executive officer. That job gave me an opportunity to see the whole enterprise worldwide of what the Air Force did. I did that just for a little while because just before I left school, uh, the senior service school at Fort McNair, I was asked to interview to become the chief defense counsel for the brand new Office of Military Commissions. And that office was set up to provide a defense infrastructure for the detainees at Guantanamo Bay, Cuba. Ron, I'll tell you, that was not my dream assignment. I thought that that could have a very negative impact on my career. But uh, as God would have it, everything worked together just fine. I believe I was the right person for that job at that point in time. And so thankful that I had the opportunity to be there at that pivotal point because we really set a tone for what, what was important in, in administering justice in, the, in that context. I didn't think that was going to be the case going in, but that ended up being my last job in uniform. In 2005, I, I retired from the Air Force and got a, a great first assignment afterwards, and that was as the president and CEO of Boys and Girls Clubs of Greater Washington, D.C. I tell a lot of people... Ron, that that was the toughest job I ever had. It was extremely demanding, a lot of pieces to it. The local organization here was experiencing financial difficulty at the time. The organization owned some clubs that were in some high-priced areas, and the board thought that uh, we could just flip those properties and close the clubs and provide funding for areas where the Boys and Girls Club is presenting its core mission of providing services to youth who are considered at, at risk. That was harder than uh, the board anticipated, definitely harder than I anticipated, but it was a great experience overall and just a compelling mission because there were so many people that felt that my life was saved by the Boys and Girls Club's experience. So I was thankful to be there. Afterwards, I started my own law practice for a while at this time, representing veterans and uh, military members who were facing various difficulties. I knew something about that, of course, from my military experience, but it was short-lived because I got an opportunity to, to serve as the general counsel at VA, another job that I absolutely loved. I was there for five years, which is, believe it or not, I think the second longest that anyone has ever served in, in that position. There, I got a lot of interaction with uh, Legal Services Corporation. From there, after uh, leaving there in 2014, I went back, opened my own law, law practice, again, focused on helping military members and, and veterans. Given where you've ended up, let me ask you this. How did you get an introduction to legal aid work? Uh, you know, where did that start? It really started in law school. I know that I learned by doing. And so as I was looking at my law school requ uh, requirements, after looking at those required courses and looking at what electives I, I would take, 
since the Air Force was sponsoring me, I had some flexibility and I decided that I wanted to uh, get as much clinical experience as I could, hands-on experience. And one of the best ways to do that was through the Harvard Legal Aid Bureau, which is the nation's oldest student-run legal services organization. I went to the Legal Aid Bureau, I applied, was accepted, and I started there at the beginning of my second year. I spent my second and third year in the Legal Aid Bureau. Toward the end of my second, my 2L year, uh, an upperclassman asked me if I would consider running for president of the organization. Wasn't one of my dreams. I was content to do other things and to, to handle individual courses, but I thought about it, talked to my wife about it, and uh, I decided to run and I was elected. That was a phenomenal experience. So that was my introduction. Tell me, what, what kind of cases did you work on, particularly as a 2L uh, or as a 3L? Yes, uh, domestic uh, case. I handled my first divorce case while, while I was there. I handled a benefits case where a person was applying for social security uh, disability and had been denied. And I helped her to get her benefits. And I also handled a consumer affairs case that really stands out in my memory where a woman who barely spoke English, she had been visited by a gentleman, (laughs) I use that term loosely, Uh, who said he was a roofer and he did have a roofing company. He took money from her, I think, and he did show up once after that, but he never completed the work. And so uh, we were able to do some things in order to go in and freeze his bank account and uh, some other things in order to get some some of my clients' uh, money back. But uh, all of those were, were really, really fulfilling because I, I felt like I, I could see firsthand the, the difference there. Ron, if I could just say one other thing about, about my background. Like, like I said, my, my dad uh, was a high school teacher and my, my mom ended up doing social work, like children, uh, children's services. Right. But before then, when I was born, they were you know, very young, young couple and such. And so we lived in public housing in, in Birmingham. That's my real roots when I think about this work, having spent some time there and also uh, having family members that still qualify for uh, the services that our grantees provide. The truth of the matter is that this, this work is, is something that I'm, I'm passionate about. Well, it obviously does because 25 or 30 years later, you can still remember the details of those first handful of cases you worked on at uh, Harvard Legal Aid Bureau. You, you talked uh, about your military service and uh, what drew you t- to that and the highlight, some of the highlights, and there were many. But let me just ask you uh, a slightly different question about your military service. What about your service you think dovetails with your work here at LSC? What experience will you draw on in your work here? I think the first thing that I draw upon is that since about 1996, so 25 years ago, I've had firsthand experience leading teams of lawyers and legal professionals. The first team that I led was a team of about six six lawyers. We had overall staff of about 20 people. And so I was the senior lawyer for the base, but first and foremost, 
I was managing that team, leading that team in, internally. More than anything else, perhaps, is in all of my experiences uh, professionally, I've had the opportunity to be in situations where the mission was compelling and the mission was at the forefront. In this role, I believe that that is so critical because at the end of the day, the law isn't always clear or there are various paths that one can take, various interpretations. But if you are going to break a tie, if you will, then I think you need to rely upon your, your core values. You need to rely upon your mission, rely upon what is it that we're all about as an organization. And so I think that that kind of focus that I've had through much of my career, through most of my career, is something that I bring here and something that I'm tremendously excited about. Well, you also talked about your time at uh, the Department of Veterans Affairs. You spent five years there as general counsel. And I know some of your work there focused on access to justice issues. Could you talk about that aspect of your work at the VA? Oh, absolutely. Ron, when I got to VA in 2009, I started traveling the country because we had people that <laughs> just about every, every state. And when I was invited uh, to give speeches and such, I, I talked to people in bar associations. I've been active in bar associations since, uh, well, 1989. was when I first got involved with the National Bar Association. But all of that time, I would come in contact with lawyers and they'd say to me, hey, I want to make a difference. How can we help veterans? In, in some instances at the beginning, I told them, well, I'll, I'll get back to you. And then it wasn't long after that, that I came in contact with something called the VA Challenge Survey. And the VA Challenge Survey looks at veterans who are at risk of being homeless and veterans who are homeless. And it looks at what they need most. And what I discovered from this uh, survey is that they look at the top 10 needs that veterans in that category have. And either five or six of them are distinct legal needs. Maybe they got a bad discharge from the military and they need help with respect to upgrading that discharge. Or perhaps they had a brush with the law and they uh, fell behind on their child support payments or lost a job, fell behind on child support payments. But the child support payments were never adjusted because after they lost the job. Now they are having a rearage with respect to, to that. And that arrearage has led to, in many jurisdictions, the loss of a driver's license. So you have these spirals that, that are occurring. Veterans' disability law can be fairly complex, but some of these other things aren't terribly complex. So after I learned that, I said, let's look at what we can do. And I saw there were various veteran service organizations that had offices in VA facilities. So I said, well, why don't we see if we can do that for legal services organizations and for these uh, law firms that want to set up an ad hoc or part-time clinic for low-income veterans? We found there was no barrier in the law. After that, we introduced a new directive. We did some advocacy. We worked with different organizations internally and externally. And 
the dam started to open. And so by the time that I left VA, more than 50 of these clinics had opened. At the same time, there was a judge, Judge Russell, had introduced this concept of veterans treatment courts, which are a mixture between drug courts and mental health courts. And so these courts were designed for veterans who are in the criminal justice system. These courts, the veterans treatment courts, are designed for veterans who are, who are facing criminal consequences for their actions, sometimes actions related to mental health uh, issues, such as uh, post-traumatic stress, uh, traumatic uh, brain injuries and such. But they may be cast into uh, jail because they've perhaps been uh, self, uh, self-medicating with, with drugs. Well, we advocated for the spread of these courts. And today, there are hundreds of these courts spread out over, over the country. So there was a lot of good work that was done. We restructured the office within VA, the work that I did with respect to legal services opening the doors for these, uh, for these clinics and VA facilities, encouraging the spread of veterans treatment courts, and also encouraging the spread of veterans legal clinics on law school campuses. That's the work that I'm proudest of. And it directly relates to the, the work that I, I get a chance to, uh, to do here and to advocate for as a member of the LSC team. Well, it sounds like your service at VA was very impactful. It actually made a difference and made a difference to the people who VA and you are are meant and were trying to serve, which is great. And which leads me to my final question, since you've just started here as my colleague and as LSC's Vice President for Legal Affairs and General Counsel, what do you hope to accomplish here at LSC? Well, Ron, first, first and foremost, of course, I'm, I'm filling your shoes as the general counsel, <laughs> but I've already discovered, though, is that you left, left a very strong team. There are no burning bridges here. Uh, nothing uh, is on the verge of collapse. Very, very, uh, a very, very talented team of, of professionals. And so I'm, I'm, th- I'm thankful for that. So one thing that I want to accomplish, of course, is not mess it up. So that's, that's first and foremost. But what really attracted me to this position was the opportunity to try to make a difference with respect to access to justice na- nationwide. I want to expand the pool, do what I can uh, to get the message out. You know, when, when I look at the, the reports that I've, I've read and, and I see that essentially the amount being appropriated today for legal services is uh, very similar to amounts that were being being appropriated more than 20 years ago. I am tremendously disturbed by that. And I wanna do my part to to help us to expand that pool because this is so very important. It's important to our nation. Uh, It's important to who we say we are as a nation. As you know, I I got a chance to serve as National Law Day Chair for the American Bar Association this year. There, the theme was advancing the rule of law now. Well, you're not going to advance the rule of law if people don't have access to attorneys. At this point in time, we have, for instance, this eviction crisis that's, that's exploding 
around us. Uh, and so many of these folks don't have an opportunity to even be represented. That is disturbing. So I want to make a difference on that front. Internally, I want to be available to, to, to people. I want to be a strong member of the team. I know our nation overall, you're having this discussion on diversity and inclusion and, and what it means to be an equitable nation and such. And I know LSC is having that discussion as well. So I want to make a positive impact with respect to that so that we do what our strategic plan talks about. And that is infusing that in all aspects of, of what we do. Because I think in considering the work that we do and the clientele that we, that we serve and the demographics there, it is just so important that we model the, the behaviors that we want for our society overall. So those are things that I wanna do. I wanna be a good teammate and I want to make sure that we're victorious in achieving the mission that we have of expanding access to justice. Well, thanks so much for joining the podcast today, but much more importantly than that, thanks for your really lifetime of service to our country. And thank you for joining LSC. I'm really grateful, both professionally and personally. It's great to have you on our team, and I look forward to working together. Thank you so much, Ron. I, I greatly appreciate it. I'm convinced this is where I'm supposed to be at this moment in time, and I'm just so very thankful for the opportunity. Podcast guest speakers' views, thoughts, and opinions are solely their own and do not necessarily represent Illegal Services Corporation's views, thoughts, or opinions. The information and guidance discussed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as legal advice. You should not make decisions based on the podcast content without seeking legal or other professional advice.